Hey everybody, my name is Drew Baker. Welcome to The Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, chefs, farmers, artists, and scientists at my kitchen table. On today's episode, I am interviewing Zev Rovine, founder of Zev Rovine Selections in Brooklyn, New York. Zev is an importer and purveyor of natural wines from around the world. All right, table set, Zev Rovine in the house. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, nice to be here. Of course, it's a pleasure. Where are you checking in from? Uh, I'm in I'm in Brooklyn in uh, in my apartment in Bushwick, where uh, you know neighborhood I've lived in for a long time, and uh, just finished dinner and you know having a glass of wine. Right on. Well, pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I remember the first time we really got to uh, we met was at uh, Summer Solstice Festival last year. And uh, was a good time. Feels like a lifetime ago. Totally. Right. Um, so, 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 what's new? Catch us up. Uh, you know, on 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 the things Where, wherever you want to oh, start. <laughs> what's new since last summer? So, uh, like, obviously, like a, a pretty big topic. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe it starts with like 2020 a little bit. It's been a little bit of a crazy year for for. The wine industry, you know, we started with um, we started with these big tariff threats. Um, in fact, they weren't threats; we we're paying tariffs uh, since November of 2019. So that's new since then. And so we're paying, you know, these 25% tariffs on French, Spanish, uh, German wines, and that's definitely a strain. And we had a real risk of those getting pumped up to a, a another level. And so that was like the very beginning of 2020. And, um, you know, there was like amazing, uh, community group action in the wine industry of a lot of people who came down to DC and, you know, spoke in front of the, the trade organization. And, um, I don't know if we made a difference, but in the end, we at least stopped the, the tariffs from going to a higher level. So that was like a really stressful period, of course. And then we came through it and, um, we came out okay, um, and then, of course, you know, COVID happened, and that really changed the dynamic of the the, the way the wine industry works. You know, we're, we're a wholesaler, of course, and so we're kind of, um, I don't know, maybe we are like a good temperature of like the overall room because we just sell a little bit to everybody and we see a little bit of everybody's struggles and, you know, the way that the revenue streams have shifted, obviously, from restaurants to retail and, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, so that was really, that was really intense. And of course we've had, um, you know, all the, all the reaction and fallout to the George Floyd murder and, um, you know, a, a, a cultural shift, I think in the way that people see the way that the world is. And, you know, I think a reflective moment for the wine industry to, you know, show how uninclusive we've been, uh, to be honest about it. And, um, you know, maybe some sort of uh, call to do something about that. So, you know, it's been it's been a really crazy time since, uh, since summer's still, to be honest. It is not a normal calendar year. As what, what month was summer solstice? Are we are we like approaching the calendar year right now? Yeah. So it was June. It was June 20th last year. June 20th. OK, so we passed it. 
Yeah. And it seems like, you know, it, it looking back, you know, I mean, it, it's all, it, it's always interesting to kind of reflect back and I, I wish that I like journal better than I do, but uh, looking back, it seems like last summer, so much of what you just mentioned was well. And I, and uh, I, I know that like, that is kind of, um, you know, coming from my own perspective, which um, admittedly, I think was jaded in so many of the ways that, uh, you know, you just kind of mentioned how non-inclusive the wine industry has historically been. And and I think that there's like, there, you know, even I, I'm guilty of this as well as, you know, I think when you break it down and you talk about it, um, it, it's easy to recognize. And it's like, hey, this is this is wrong. Let's do something about it. But in the absence of the conversation, um, it, it was, um, you know, too easy, I think, to just kind of brush over those inequalities. And so from that perspective, last year, it seemed like everything was fine. And in, in the last year, um, there's just been you know, a, not only tremendous fallout in sort of like these uncontrollable ways, but also an incredible awareness of the things that are wrong that we can do something about. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of so much has changed, you know, twofold in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think everybody, you know, like we're saying is like looking at the world in a different way. And, you know, I think we've always been able to just like look in a room of a bunch of wine people and see that they're pretty much all white. And, you know, that was a, you know, that was an oversight that we all made, or that was something that we, we didn't see as a big a problem as it is. And we didn't do anything proactive to really change it. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully we are, you know, this is an awakening for our, our part of the industry. You know, like I really, I really do think that the natural wine world operates differently than the conventional wine world. I think we are like a more compassionate group of people. And I think we're, you know, um, I think we're the, like, we have a good chance here to, to be a more inclusive environment and to do it proactively and not to just kind of like sit around and, you know, hope people of color show up and like, you know, are extremely white and expensive environment that we've like basically created for ourselves. So there, there just has to be like a better way to democratize wine and natural wine and to, to be more inviting to a, a broader group of people. I think you summed it up well. So um, let's uh, let, let's let's back up a little bit, rewind the tape. Um, for those listening uh, to the show who don't know Zebra Bean, um, t- tell us your story. How'd you get into wine? Where are you from? Uh, I grew I grew up uh, around Philadelphia area. Um, I moved to New York in. Uh, you know, when I was 20 years old and I worked in restaurants and that's sort of like basically the way that I learned about wine. Um, you know, I, I moved here not for wine or for like restaurant work. I, was, I moved here for other reasons. And, you know, it, it became like, um, there's a lot of little details of the story, but it, it, it became my career somehow. Um, and then I, I worked in wine in uh, sommelier service and in restaurant service for a number of years. And then I ended up in Utah where I opened a small wine bar um, that was like in the corner of a bookstore. And I, I had that for uh, about three years. It was a really great experience and uh, really grew my 
understanding and my passion and my like just interest for wine. Um, and you know, after that, I was sort of like faced with a, a like career decision of what I wanted to do. And I raised sort of just enough money to start a little wine import company and, uh, and move back to New York sort of on that. And so, um, I basically, uh, another couple details in, in terms of like how it got to where it was, but I basically, uh, imported like three or four pallets of wine from France to, to get started. And I was a, I was a one man, you know, wine import company. And I, I bought all the wine and sold all the wine and did all the stuff and did all the bookkeeping and the, the stuff out of a small apartment. Um, and it grew bit by bit. And then you, you know, it's it, at some point in the very early stages, I got, uh, interested or inspired by natural wine. So that was about 2008, 2009. And uh, it, it was clear to me that like that was my community and that was the type of wine that I wanted to sell. And so we, you know, quickly pivoted to selling exclusively that type of wine. Um, a lot of reasons behind it. But then, um, yeah, that was 2008, 2009. And now we're in 2020 and we've grown a lot. You know, we, um, we've got... 10 or 12 employees here in New York and we've got a, a company in California that does direct distribution and uh, we sell in, you know, I don't know, 30 States around the United States. And, you know, it's all sort of like a mix of small quantities. We work with a lot of wineries. Most of them range between like three and 25 hectare um, in terms of like their like land ownership and production. We have a couple of them that are much bigger than that. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of like uh, it's evolved around the market that we've been in, and uh, we're it, we're lucky to have to be where we are. We we have you know good things. We have good wineries and lots of great clients, and the and the natural wine community has, has grown uh, over that period of time in an incredible way. So we have you know a client base that we could never have imagined back you know when we started the company and. Um, and that just supports like more growers to make more natural wine and, you know, it creates more opportunities to change their parents' farm into a, you know, their parents kind of conventional winery into a cool little natural winery or to encourage some young person to go get a loan and buy some vines and learn how to farm. And because there's like a potential for a market out there, you know, so like the, the movement enables more, more movement. So it's a, it's a nice you know, I couldn't be happier with like the way the natural wine world is right now. And, uh, you know, our, our time in it. That's fine. Yeah. That's amazing. So many questions. So, um, what, so somebody is, uh, is listening to this and, uh, you know, they, they do know your portfolio. They love what it's about. Um, this idea that 2008, 2009, you had an idea and, uh, you know, you, you started Zebra Bean Collections. Um, you mentioned that you raised just enough money to uh, bring in your first couple pallets of wine. Um, is, is there a story there? Like for somebody who's like trying to figure out how they can kind of bootstrap their own, their own operation off the ground. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about this, but it's the kind of thing I want to talk about on this show because like, I mean, that's, that's like, I think the big, um, you know, it's a big barrier to entry. I know on our side of the things like 
you know, we're not, we're not blue bloods either at old Westminster. Like we bootstrapped this yeah. thing to the ground. Um, and I love, you know, talking about that and sharing like how we did it. Um, you know, for you, how did you, um, you know, how, how'd you get started? How did, how did you raise just enough for those first couple pallets of wine? What was that process like? Um, well, I had, like I said, I had that wine bar in Utah and one of the things we did at this wine bar in Utah is we did like these like Friday night classes where like people would come and I would like talk to people about, you know, I don't know, like whatever, like Bordeaux, Burgundy, or we did Rioja. We did, we did a 24 week series on France. And so like, you know, we just like, I, I developed these people or I developed relationships with people who lived in Utah that really loved wine and our wine bar was like a place for them. A handful of those people like really loved it and uh, were willing to give me, you know, $25,000 loans to, to move to New York as a 26 year old, move back to New York as a 26 year old and start a wine import company. So there were, you know, there were four couples basically that gave me $25,000 to go try and do that. And, uh, you know, that's crazy. So I, I, did, I didn't have any money. So what's yeah. that? I said, people believed in you. Yeah. So people believed me in me. And, you know, I think that I got, you know, somewhat lucky in terms of my timing and, you know, it, I, in the natural wine market had already been like the road had already been paved by Jenny and, you know, and Dresner and, um, Savio Suarez and a couple other people and then, and, and Kermit Lynch, of course, who, who had already kind of like, you know, set the market up and I was able to kind of come in and do my version of it and have some success with it. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. That's incredible. So you said now you've got 25 people. Uh, no, 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 not 25 people. I've got, uh, what I say? I said 10 or 12 in New York. I think we're a company in California is like four or five people. Okay. Amazing. So tell, tell us about your team. Like what's the makeup? Um, well, we're a wholesale company, so we've got a lot of salespeople. Um, you know, we've, we've got, um, you know, we've, we've done a good job of having a good gender balance in our company. Uh, I'll, you know, be honest, we have not done a great job of having like a really deep racial diversity, um, in our company. We, we do have a lot of people, you know, that are, that are gay or, um, you know, identify in different ways. And so that's, we've been good in those ways, but we've not been uh, inclusive enough in some other ways. That's, you know, one of those things that's been, being, becoming clear. So, you know, you, you got to keep working to, to kind of develop that. That's in terms of the makeup of our company, but we're a bunch of salespeople and we're a handful of office people, basically. You know, we're 70% salespeople and 30% office people. And we do, you know, QuickBooks and spreadsheets and we go out and we show wine and we, uh, you know, do Instagram posts and we, we write shit for the website and we, you know, we do mundane, uh, we do mundane sales work basically. Yeah. Amazing. So I, I think everybody sees the Instagram, right? Like they see these amazing wines that you bring in and the trips you get to take, but so much of the process is on, uh, is on like shared Google docs. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm too old school even for shared Google Docs. We still work on Excel. Right. Bad we are. <laughs> cool. So um, what kind of, um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. Um, in terms of like the wines that you bring in, what do you look for 
um, in, in terms of, you know, like what, what, what sorts of things are you looking for when you're out, uh, you know, in Europe looking for wines that, that you think will have play in the U S I know that's a big open-ended question. And there's like a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors. There's, yeah, a, lot there's of factors. a lot of factors, but like, what are, what are kind of like, a, um, some like key markers for you that like really tell you, this is something I need to sell. Um, you know, I think it starts with like a more restrictive approach in the sense that like we only work with wines that are from organic or biodynamic grapes, you know, like we just won't even engage anything that's not made like that. Um, everything that we have is fermented with native yeast and without enzymes. And, um, the only additive in any of the wines that we import is sulfur. And in that there's small quantities, if nothing sometimes, um, so, you know, we're somewhat like guided or restricted by, you know, some philosophies in terms of buying, um, you know, self-imposed of course. And then, and then you try to find wineries that make good wines, people that are good people, people that like foster a community around them that you want to be around, um, you know, people that, you know, I, I talk to these winemakers all the goddamn time, you know, they, they, there's a bunch of them. And, um, if, if the communications are with them aren't pleasant, if I don't think they're good people, if I don't think that like, it's a, you know, a, a positive environment, then I also don't care. You know, I, I, I'm not as interested in like importing perfect wines and importing like, uh, this idea of like terroir wines or, you know, I, I kind of, my, my wine background, my like instinct is, you know, very kind of like Burgundy classical wine in a way. Um, and so I have an appreciation for all that, but like, I, I, I honestly just don't care that much anymore. Like it, it's more about the people that you're working with and, um, people like different styles of wine, whether or not I think they're like terroir exemplary, you know what I mean? Sure. It's not really for me to judge. Like I'm not, I don't really matter in like my judgment doesn't really matter. So, you know, I try to find, I try to find people who are doing cool things, people who are interesting, people who are creative, people who are nice, people who are, you know, decent sure. projects I can believe in. And, you know, I, you know, quite frankly, I'm also like, uh, I'm also supplying a marketplace. And so I'm also looking for, you know, opportunities where there's producers with volume, you know, that are doing it in like a, uh, an ethical way. And, um, you know, I, I really, I'm sometimes afraid that natural wine gets too expensive. You know, I, I want to also promote like good quality organic biodynamic wines that are not like really weird, funky, strange things, um, you know, that are done by farms and families and people that, you know, respecting their community and the land, um, they can get into price points that are, you know, well under $20 a bottle on the shelf. Like that's a, in natural wine, that's a hard category to hit at this point. So, you know, I try to have a mix. I try, I try to have a mix of like small artistic creative producers and, uh, responsible, you know, larger production producers. Yeah. I mean, wine is, it's an agricultural commodity, right? Like it, it's, it's a product that is made by just transforming grapes that we grow. So the way that they're grown is super important. 
and the way that they're made is really important and the community that they're capable of making and the money that they generate and how that is sort of spent and invested. All of that is important. The quality of the wine, right? Like, does it bring someone pleasure um, is also important, but it's subjective. Like you it's, said. it's very subjective. So right. like a lot of people don't like some weird funky orange wine and we'll call that not like terroir expressive, you know what I mean? But a fucking ton of people love that shit. And you know, who am I to judge like somebody's taste? First off, I also love that stuff. Like I love weird expressions of, you know, there's, there's all sorts of weird grapes that you look out there, converts to and others that like you think are not very good when they're just like white and traditionally made. And you see somebody do a maceration or an interesting thing with it. And it becomes an interesting wine, you know, like there, there needs to be like a lot more creativity in the way that wines are made. And the natural wine community is like, uh, you know, excels in that, in that department of just like looking at the grapes and being like, how can we make a fun, weird, tasty wine out of this thing? Um, yeah, I think that that's like a failing of the AOC system. I think it's a failing of like, you know, just the idea of conventional wine that we just have white, red, rosé wine, sparkling wine. And like, that's all we can really think of, you know, like there's just like, there's, there's a lot more gradients that I think the natural wine world has, has discovered. Uh, and, you know. and really just discovered since we've gotten into wine, right? Like, so like your timeline, I think is not dissimilar from mine, obviously coming from a totally different perspective and set of experiences. But, you know, I, I think back on like, the, you know, like 2008, 2009, when I first started really discovering wine, generally, um, the conversation was just so different. I think the answer that you just gave for like, what do you look for when you're trying to find wines that deserve to be sold in your market by you and your team? Um, like your answer is so refreshing to hear now, but I think it's, it's revolutionary if you were to hear that answer and go back and play it in 2009. Because in 2009, I think that like everything was about the best, like what, what, yeah. wine, what wines are the best in any given category, very traditional, the gatekeepers, everyone was aware of them. And well, 2009, we were still, we still had the point system, you know, like the, the point system wasn't dead in 2009, you know, like I'm pretty sure at least in the natural wine world, the point system is, completely fucking dead. I mean, like it, it just doesn't exist, obviously. And I even think in the conventional wine world, like people are tired of it. So my um, silver medal at the Maryland state fair isn't helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Silver medal. You say, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like you're saying, you know, everything was like about the best one of that, you know, you would think like, you would try to think critically about importing wine from Rioja, for example, right? And you'd be like, okay, well, there's, you know, here's our, our benchmarks in the, in the market. We've got Lopez Heredia, we've got La Rioja Alta, and, you know, these are at these prices. Is the wine that I'm going to import, like, touching those prices? Because, in fact, you know, we've got, you know, Marquez de Riscal and all this other shit that's, like, way underneath these prices. So where in this price range is this wine relevant? Like, where does this find, like, a... Uh, a niche in the place of like the Spanish wine industry. And we don't think like that anymore, or I don't think like that anymore. I, I think that was the prevailing thought at the time of like how to import wine. And it's so and, boring if you think about it. It's upside down. 
Yeah, it's just it just it just means that everybody has to like fall in line. You know, it means that every winery has to like be on some sort of like linear scale. And that's just like not we could just be more interesting than that. You know, there's the there's just the possibility of being more interesting than that. And so I think, you know, Natch Wine's done a great job of that. I, there's a lot of like mentality stuff in importation back in the day that's different than it is now. Um, and, you know, also we're only talking about our little, you know, tiny speck of the wine market. Like we don't, we don't exist. You know, the, the, we're less than 1% by a drastic measure of not just my company. I mean, like all of us, if you put all the natural wine together, like we're, a, a, a small portion of 1% of the wine sold in America. We don't, we, we don't matter. Um, let's just always remember that, you know, like the rest of the wine world has continued on the way that it has all these years. For sure. But I think that that has gone a long way to sort of cultivate the community that I see in natural wine. Like I, I think about like the way things were in 2009, what you just described the price point and quality comparison and nothing else matters. Like it's so ultra competitive, um, you know, marketing, it was King, like that was it. Right. I mean, it's just like price point and marketing. And now I think that like so many of the natural wine importers, distributors, the movement in general, making up only 1% of the domestic market has really done a good job of creating a sense of sort of like community. And I think within the natural wine world, there is aspirations of making a difference collectively. And it's not your company versus the other natural wine importer that's doing everything the right way in your minds. I am super good friends with almost all the natural wine importers. You know, the way that, the way that it used to be like the fights between like, you know, whatever. I don't know why I keep talking about Spanish wine importing, but like Eric Solomon and Jorge Ordonez, like the, you know, like the, the, the battle of like the big bad importers and all this stuff, you know, it's not like that in the natural wine world. Like we're all friends. We all drink tons of wine. Together. Like it's all the time. We're all like at the same in events in Europe time. And, you know, uh, and we, you know, it's a great community. Everybody's all after like, you know, we're, we're all after like a piece of the broader market share, but we're also all after a, a cultural change, you know, to, to put this into a world that we want to be in. You know, I don't think that most of the people that are out drinking natural wine now, the young people that are out drinking natural wine would have been out drinking Bordeaux and Napa Cab. You know, they would have been out drinking cocktails. You know, they would, they would have been out drinking something else if it wasn't for natural wine. You know, like I, I do think that like we, as the natural wine world, like invited a different type of, you know, it's not, continue. it's not like we converted a bunch of Nap Napa cab drinkers to drink natural wine. You know, we got a different segment of people to drink wine instead of whatever else they were drinking before. Um, and I think that was like, uh, I think that's a real strength of natural wine is that these people don't care about conventional wine at this point. Like they don't want it. They're not, you know, they don't go to the stores, the stores that are natural wine dedicated stores have natural wine dedicated clientele who go there. And like, it's an insulated economy that, you know, that functions. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And it, and it kind of becomes self-selecting at that point and you know, your audience, the audience is built and so when you find a producer in Europe 
that's that's making wines the right way and that is telling a story that you want to share how, how do you kind of how, how do you kick that relationship off tell us about that process oh man i don't know um <laughs> you know it's complicated like we you know at this point uh i don't know if we pick up a new winery you know sometimes we pick up a new winery and it's already known to the world you know like it's it's already famous on instagram or whatever and then and then sometimes we pick up a winery that nobody's ever heard of and it's a it's a whole different process of uh you know selling their wines you know you have to do a different type of work you have to open more bottles you have to do more visits you have to tell more stories you have to you know do more road work for it than you do uh you know just let the popularity of it take its take it into into sales um you know every winery is gets treated differently and you know we've had tons of wineries that we picked up that nobody ever knew of and nobody cared about them for a number of years and then eventually people started to care and thought they were great and it was worth all the effort you know and i i've definitely had wineries that i still am waiting for that to happen to you know that i think are really great wineries that do really great work and i've imported for seven eight years and still nobody really cares about so you know it's uh it's a mix of success stories and failures and efforts. And, you know, it's, it's not an exact science. You just, you, you just try to buy the wines you think are good from the people you think are nice. For sure. So you mentioned sort of like the unicorn category, which is producers that are farming organic biodynamics, doing things the right way, building community, um, investing their resources well, and also offering wines at a scale and price point that you can kind of like hit the market with and really run. Are you seeing, I'm just generally curious, are you seeing more wines in that category emerging from new projects or from more traditional projects that are having sort of like a generational shift or an internal shift and that are, that are kind of like reinventing themselves, which, you know, I, I think that it's easy to look at that and be like, Oh, you know, like they're just kind of like reinventing themselves because the market's making them. But I, I think that like, it's also important to recognize that like progress is progress. And like, if we collectively are going to get better, whether it be in the way that we form or the way that we are more inclusive in our businesses, like you start where you are. And the only thing that you can do is get that. Yeah, I mean, you you can't be upset for with people for riding the wave, you know, if they're doing it the right way, you know. I, I think that people didn't know for a long time that you could start a little natural winery and that people would buy your wines. So, you know, you can't be mad at somebody that, that like, started to do it now and say that they're, like, a poser or whatever. Um, you know, I, I see... I see it in both conditions, as you described, uh, people who start new projects and also people that are like converting, you know, they're a new generation that might be converting. And, you know, if, like you say, if the market has demanded that if people aren't working organically, that nobody's going to buy your wine and they change to be organic are we to judge whether or not they did it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, you know, kind of who cares, you know, like the, for me, always one of the big goals of natural wine was, um, was to reduce basically the volume of systemic chemicals that get 
drained through the through the earth and into the water systems. You know, like that's the bad thing about the conventional farming is that you know vines in particular. You know, if you're working conventionally, use quite a lot of of fungicide and herbicide, and uh, and we're trying to reduce that volume. And so, if there's like a cultural movement that puts pressure on big companies to make decisions like, oh, should we change our 500 hectare winery in, you know, the Languedoc to organic because the the market is demanding it? Like, sure, th- their spirit in that wasn't like to save the earth, but... Uh, but they're doing know, it anyway. <laughs> but they're doing it anyway. And like, there's a, there's a broader goal to be had by like, you know changing uh the way that we treat the earth because obviously like that's a uh, one of the great issues of our times cool yeah i think that's great so um i'm I'm curious what is uh like looking back over the past 10 years um your business has grown a lot which is awesome um what what's something that like you wish that you could go back and like tell yourself in the beginning like i'm sure you've like developed so much perspective along the way like yeah, do you have any advice kind of like for someone listening or, or for yourself, like when you were at the beginning of your journey? Um, you know, I don't know because the beginning of my journey was like so relative to its time, you know, like all, all the stuff that we just talked about, like not buying, you know, on that sort of linear concept is stuff that I would tell myself then um, but that took time to like understand time to develop and it took like the market and like the environment that it was in. So, you know, if you're starting now and you're in the market and you're the environment that you're in, you know, it's a different set of advice that you're going to give to somebody. And I, I guess if, if I was to like give advice to somebody that's starting now, uh, you know, I'd probably say just to be careful who you work with. You know, make sure that these are people that like, if you're putting your name on your bottles that, uh, you really want to stand behind, you know, not just that they make beautiful wine and that they tend beautiful land, but that they're like, you know, but that their whole situation is, uh, in good shape, you know, do do a little work vetting your producers before you, before you make commitments because the, the importer producer commitment is a really close one, you know, that is, you know, long-term if it's successful. And so you want to make sure that you're working with people that you can believe in. For sure. Um, Who are some people who you've worked with along the way that have like sort of mentored you or you've taken, you know, inspiration from emulated that sort of thing? Um, The people that have mentored me and that I've emulated are, uh, you know, it's been, it's really piecemeal, you know, you know, when I was, uh, I, I don't really show wine much anymore, but when I, when I used to, you know, I, I had a lot of people that, um, that were buyers, you know, that I would talk to that, uh, would mentor me. Lee Campbell is a person that comes to mind, uh, somebody I'm working on a, a project with now. And, um, you know, I think seeing just like what, like, Jenny uh, Leftcourt has done it. Jenny and Francois, she wasn't necessarily like a, a close friend or mentor, but like I was mentored by, you know, the way that she did her business 
you know, in the industry. And I, I think I, you know, I took cues from, from her work. Of course, you know, Louis Dresner is another company that, uh, who I took a lot of cues from in the way that they operate. So, you know, I didn't really have like a, like a person like, like, you know, holding my hand through the process, but, uh, I took a lot of cues from, from like the, the best people in the industry, you know, that, you know, however close you were at any moment, you can just kind of see the way they work. For sure. And I think that's cool. And I, and I, I kind of have done the same thing in, in my own life. You look around and like whatever you're working on or trying to do what you're passionate about, you know, so much of what we do isn't like a brand new invention or a unique thought. It's really a function of like seeing other people that are doing meaningful work and emulating, kind of putting our own spin on it and, you know, taking their work and making it your own. So that's really cool. Um, something I, I kind of like want to uh, want to make a part of the show is uh, is this idea. So like brutal, you're familiar, uh, you know, with the term in wine, but like it's a term that my sisters and I always use growing up to describe a situation that was like so bad at the time or awkward or whatever, that it was hilarious when you look back on it. Or like when you tell the story, you just can't, like you realize later that it's just so funny. I'm wondering, do you have any stories along the way that, uh, you know, whether it be importing, selling wine, whatever, uh, that, that, that are just like so brutal now when you look back that it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, man, I got a lot of, I got a lot of little stories. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to like, you know, really delve into a thing. You know, the, the, a lot of things have, have been brutal over the years. You know, I think, um, I don't know. What's going on now seems like the most brutal thing that we've seen in a long time. So, yeah, for sure. But it's not funny. So that's, that's, yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't come up with a funny <laughs> anecdote for that one. Not, yeah, um, yeah, no worries. <laughs> cool. So, um, on me. what do you, uh, you, do you do anything for fun? Uh, do I do anything for fun? Um, yeah, I like to I'll, eat, I'll of wine. What and you drink, and hang out. I I I do have a golf habit. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I do have a golf habit. That's kind of my like, uh, you know, it's kind of my outside of the the real world release. Right on. Uh, how often do you get to play? Uh, I try to play twice a week. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I take it a little more seriously than um, than I probably should. I play like some like amateur tournaments and stuff. And, okay, so you're um, good. Did you grow yeah, up? Yeah, I'm all right. I, I played I played in high school, and then when I moved to New York, I like forgot about it. You know, I think even before that, I forgot about it. And then like uh, five or six years ago, my friend uh, Henry Henry's Wines and Spirits in Brooklyn. Good job. Uh, was just like, hey, I'm going to play golf. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I used to play when I was a kid. And I went out and I played one time. And I was like, oh, shit. Uh, I love this. I, I forgot that I, I love to play it. So uh, so it got me. So I've got a, I got a golf habit. What do you shoot? Um, I'm a five handicap right now. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm sometimes a little lower, sometimes a little higher. <laughs> right on that's pretty good like if 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 i were to break a hundred i would be really stoked so <laughs> oh yeah if, if i if i didn't break a hundred i'd be pretty upset 
<laughs> nice. Cool. So, um, where can, um, where, where can our listeners find your wines? How can they connect with you? Um, you could definitely connect with us on, uh, at Zevra Vine Selections, our Instagram page, uh, and our website. Um, you know, we sell wine in a lot of places. And so generally there's like one or two, you know, if you're talking about smaller markets, like Minnesota or somewhere like that, there's, you know, a handful of places that are like really, you know, focused on it. Um, if you're like in New York and California, there's like a, you know, a broader set of places. Um, but you know, you can send us an email info at zeroswines.com and we'll happily direct you to like, uh, you know, the natural wine places in your area. Right on Zev. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for, uh, hopping on this call and connecting uh, really appreciate it. Everybody that's listening. Thank you. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to, uh, to give it a like or subscribe on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and, uh, be releasing a new episode every week. Cool. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks buddy. Take care. Have a good evening.